I want you to know that last week I talked to you about the, the, the ring finger of the, of the hand, which is the, where we have the wedding band, which the only gift of the fivefold gifts that is married to the local congregation is the pastor. He makes a commitment to the sheep. He's married to the sheep. The teacher can, can, can you know, teach in different places. The evangelist, certainly what we're talking about right now, can travel different places. Prophets can prophesy in-house, outside of house. Apostles certainly are, are gifts that operate in the house, but many, many apostles uh, are traveling all around the world. But let me just tell you, there was a term a long time ago when I was a kid coming up in church. When we talk about the evangelist, we would, we would say that usually when you saw an evangelist, They'd be slick-haired and shiny-shoed. Come on, so that's what we call slick-haired, shiny-shoed preachers, praise God. Their hair was pulled straight back like that, and, um, um, uh, and they had their shoes shined. You could just tell they just had a look about it. Don't get, don't get upset with me because i got a lot of evangelist friends who's got slick hair and shiny shoes. Praise God. I'm not saying anything against slick hair and shiny shoes, but I'm just talking about there was this air about an understanding of an evangelist when I was a kid. And this was the understanding of the evangelist. He was the traveling preacher who traveled into church. And there again, I have to say this so that no one will, I'm not talking about anybody in particular, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I'm just trying to help you, my congregation, whether you watch it online or not, that's, that's, I'm not doing this for you. I am doing it for you, but the main, what I'm preaching to is my people. You just happen to be online. I, my responsibility as pastor of this church is to equip the saints in this house for the work of the ministry. Do you receive it? Say amen. amen. So if you get mad at me, you can send me a message, but here's the reality. Here's the reality. The persona was, he traveled through, he had a week's revival, is what we called it, and he would sometimes park his camper out back, and he'd live in a fifth wheel or something, or, or he might live in, a, in, a, in, the, in the pastor's basement, or, or, you know, praise the Lord, they might actually put the preacher up in a nice hotel, but not when I was a kid, they didn't do that when I was a kid, they stuck him in a, in a, in a, a mold-infested basement somewhere. If they didn't have his own, that's why so many preachers had their own traveling trailer because, because the church wouldn't even take care of them when they'd come to the house of God, so they had to find something decent for their family. Can I get an amen? Churches, mm-mm. But, but let me just tell you, that is not necessarily an evangelist. And I'm going to show you that just because somebody calls himself an evangelist, and they travel from church to church that does not make them an evangelist. Are you with me, somebody? I'm going to give you just a, a little statement. This, this right here might be refrigerator material right here. This might be refrigerator material. At least, at least uh, maybe, maybe uh, dressing mirror uh, material to stick up in. Here it is. The first thing on your notes is this. When the five-fold ministry is not operating properly, the church is handicapped. When the fivefold ministry is not operating properly, the church is handicapped. Listen, we need the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. If we do not have them operating properly, and if the evangelist, we don't understand really what an evangelist is, there's no way for the evangelist to operate properly. And if they're not operating properly, then the church is handicapped. Are you with me? Say amen. Now, let me just tell you something. The, the next thing, let's just go quickly. The next thing on your notes, and then I'll explain it, is this. There is a clear distinction between an evangelist and a revivalist. 
There is a clear distinction between an evangelist and a revivalist. And can I tell you something? Revivalist is not a five-fold ministry gift, but I do believe people operate in the spirit of, of revival. They really are, they should be an evangelist, but a revivalist is someone who travels from church to church and has revivals. Isn't it interesting that we call them revivals? Do you know what the word revive means? It means something that was dead has to be revived again. So what we don't even realize we're saying when we have a revival at church is we're proclaiming to the community that we're dead. And we need somebody to come in and wake us up. And you know what? That's the case a lot of times. I'm not saying that's not the case. Because how many knows a lot of churches need to be raised from the dead? And even in live churches, you still got dead people in the in live church that need to be raised from the dead. So I'm not coming against that. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not saying it's wrong to pray for revival. It's absolutely not wrong to pray for revival. In fact, it's wrong not to pray for revival because, if, it, because when you're praying for revival, you're saying, God, wake up the sleeping giant. God, raise the people of God up to be who God has called them to be. But we're not talking about the office of the revivalist. We're talking about the office of the evangelist. Are you hearing me, church? This is what Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19 says this. Jesus says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Listen to what Jesus said. First message he ever preached. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel. To preach the gospel. Somebody shout the gospel. What does the word gospel mean? I've taught you this. Good news. It means good news, to preach good news to the poor. Can I tell you, the best news to the poor is you don't have to be poor anymore. Huh? He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. How do you heal the brokenhearted? You have, some, you have a message of the gospel that puts the heart back together. To proclaim liberty or freedom to those who are captive. Have you ever had a dog inside a fence or, or chained up outside and all this? And you're doing it just for, you don't like to keep him up that way all the time, but he's, you know, for his protection. And then you, you go out there to him and you let him loose or whatever. How many knows he's pretty excited? If he's like my dog, he'll probably pee on you. <laughs> Praise God. Why? It's not because, uh, you know, it's something that's never happened before. It's just, it's not in their nature. It's not what they were created to be. They, they were created to be free and roam and free. So when they get the opportunity, it means the world to them. How many of those believers, human beings, were not created to be chained up and bound up and put in a prison? So we need somebody to come in and give us a message that sets us free. I'm preaching better than you shouting. The recovery of the sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. This is what Jesus says. See, the evangelist has a distinctive ministry. As the evangelist bears the message of salvation in Jesus. The evangelist has, has the mantle of the message of salvation in Jesus. Now, pastor can teach on many different principles. And a, a, a teacher can teach on many different principles. 
A prophet can preach and teach and, and prophesy on many principles. An apostle can speak and expound on knowledge of many different things. And I'm not saying someone who operates in the office of the evangelist will only preach a pure message, you must be born again. But someone who operates in the spirit of an evangelist, at the core of everything they do, and at the core of every message they preach, it is the gospel to set the captive free. It is the gospel to open blinded eyes. It is to pull people out of the grips of hell and show them how to have their names written in the Lamb's book of life. It is the passion in the heart of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16 is an evangelistic scripture. Are you with me, church? Would to God that we could get some evangelists again. Not just traveling preachers who are trying to impress us with their Bible knowledge. Are you hearing me? Just coming to town to get another check. Coming to town so they can pay the bills to preach a message that stirs us up and say, oh my God, what a word, what a word. But if it's a true evangelist, there's nothing wrong with a revivalist. We bring revivalists in here all the time. But if you're going to call yourself an evangelist, but you ain't getting people saved, you've missed the boat. Are you hearing me, church? The evangelist will focus his attention of the church on the plight of lost people. Now, a pastor like myself, you know, I have an evangelistic heart. I'm not a true, I, don't, I, I operate in the apostolic, which I operate in all five gifts, but my main operation gift is not the evangelistic anointing because when I'm in this pulpit, now when I go out and I minister at other places on the streets, that evangelistic man will manifest on me. But while I'm here, we always have a sinner's prayer at the end of service. But the truth is, my job in this house for the next few minutes is to equip you for the work of the ministry, to shepherd you and to, and to help equip you on certain issues that you are facing in your life to know how to be able to overcome those issues by the power of the Word of God. Can I get an amen? amen. But an evangelist, if he was in this pulpit, would, would literally be consumed, would, know, would be almost tormented in his mind until he did everything he could in, the, in every message, every word that came out of his mouth would be leading towards seeing these altars flooded with people who, were, who did not know that their life was right with God. Are you hearing me? There's a two-layer effect of evangelism. There is a ministry gift of the evangelist, as we have discussed, and the ministry of evangelism that all believers are called to. Listen, there is a mantle of an evangelist, but there is an evangelistic call that is on every one of you. Are you hearing me? I'm going to say it again. There is a mantle of evangelists, but do not take, just like last week when I told you my job as a pastor was not to go visit you in the hospital. My job as a pastor was not to check on you when you're sick. And, and some of y'all didn't know how to handle that. And I'm not even going to explain it. If you weren't here last Sunday, you need to go back and, and listen or watch it to even know what I'm talking about. But here's the reality. Why I was saying that is, if we're not careful, we will put the pastor up on a shelf and we will have an expectation of the pastor that we do not have of ourselves 
And it makes us feel better about the fact that we ain't doing what we're supposed to be doing because the pastor in our mind is supposed to be doing it. Same thing with the evangelist. We say, well, you know what? I'm not really necessarily an evangelist, so I don't really have that calling on my life. Paul said, no, you're not, that you're all ministers of the gospel. You may not operate in an evangelistic mantle, meaning that you will stand before crowds and evangelize the crowds, evangelize cities. But if you are a believer and your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, the Word of God said, to whom much is given, much is required. God has called you to the ministry of evangelism. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. But if you're in this house and you have never led somebody personally in the sinner's prayer, if you have never led someone to Jesus Christ outside of a church service, I'm not talking about lead them in a prayer, uh, on the prayer team in the altar, but if you have not led someone to Christ on your job site, in your family, in your neighborhood, and said, pray this prayer with me, and led them from darkness into light, let me tell you something, you have not fulfilled the call yet on your life. I'm not trying to beat you up, but that needs to be a passion on your life. Why would you want to say and give God the praise that your name is in the Lamb's book of life, and you're not mandated by God to make sure the ones that you love are in the same book? I am preaching a whole lot better than you're shouting. Whether you think that you're, listen, if you can talk about a ball game, you can talk about Jesus. If you can talk about what's on sale at, at, the, at the place you like to shop, you can talk about Jesus. If you can talk about clothes, you can talk about Jesus. If you, come on, whatever you can talk about to your friends and family, it should not be easier for, and it should not be of a greater importance for you to have in-depth conversations about those things, but yet you have never had a conversation about whether their life is right with God or not. I promise you, if something happens, I don't mean this to be morbid, but I promise you that if something happens and, and God, God forbid that, that their life is, is taken short or they go out of this world before you get to have the chance, I promise you, I'm not trying to beat you up, but you will think about that. How do I know? Because I go through it. When family members pass away and I realize that it's been years since I talked to them and I don't even know whether their lives were right with God, I go through that same thing. So here's the thing. They say give them roses while they're alive. Praise God, don't give them roses after they're dead. Let me tell you something. I believe that wholeheartedly. Listen and do that. But watch this. More important than roses is you have an evangelistic call on your life. You are the light of the world. You are supposed to be the salt and the light of the world without if the salt has lost its flavor how will it flavor anything if you are the light of the world but yet you are not letting the evangelistic light that is on you shine i'm preaching hard because i don't get to preach second service praise god do you understand somebody say this with me out loud i have the call of evangelism on my life mm. So, there is the mantle of evangelist, just like there is the mantle of a pastor, but there is a pastoral anointing. Because what does pastor mean? Remember what I told you last week? What does pastor mean? Shepherd. So how many knows you don't have to have a title to care for the sheep? In fact, it's mandated by Jesus to all believers. If I was sick, you visited me. I was hungry, you fed me. 
That's a pastoral anointing. You may not have that office of a pastor, but God has called every believer to have a pastoral heart for the sheep. He's called every person to study the Word of God, to rightly divide the Word of God, so that they can share things about the Word of God. In other words, there's going to be times in every believer's life where somebody's going to come to you, not Pastor Larry, and say, what do you think the Bible means here? So if you have the ability to answer that, then guess what? There's a teaching anointing comes on you. To, that's, close, that's what a teacher is. He expounds on the Word of God. So you're going to expound on the Word of God, and you're going to teach as a believer, but you may not have the mantle of a teacher. Are y'all hearing me? So don't shelve the evangelist on Somebody who has the title. See, the nature and the function of the office of the evangelist. Let's talk about that for the next few minutes. The word evangelist, come, when, re, when referencing the office, and I hope I can say this right, I'm horrible with Hebrew and Greek. I used to just say uh, shandala or something like that. <laughs> Praise God. Maybe the Holy Spirit will know. Eugalistus. I know that ain't how you say it. I, I, I need, I need uh, it ain't got no V in it. It's E-U-A-G-G-E-L-I-S-T-S. Eucalyptus. I'm going to call it. It almost sounds like eucalyptus. It's all great to me, brother. <laughs> the word specifically here refers to the messenger holding the office. Acts 21.8. It is used when it says Philip the evangelist one of the seven so one of the seven deacons that were chosen in acts chapter six was of course stephen and the other famous one was philip and he is called in acts 21 18 philip the evangelist and when he caught what is called the evangelist that is the word for evangelist that means office of evangelist so when he says Philip the evangelist, meaning the mantle of Jesus, of the gift of evangelist, was on Stephen. These, I mean, excuse me, Philip. Philip. These, this gifting was recognized and accepted by the church. In other words, he was known in the church as Philip the evangelist. Like you would know me as Pastor Larry, he would have been addressed as evangelist Philip. Are you hearing me? So we see this is just one example of someone who is operating in the office. Then there is the message of the office. That, by the way, the, the word uh, evangelist in office terms, uh, operating in the office, is only mentioned three times in the New Testament. But the message of, evan of the evangelist is uh, euagalian, and it is mentioned 77 times in the New Testament. And it's most of the time translated the word gospel. It literally means the good tidings of the kingdom. How many knows this message is unchanging from the beginning of the church throughout succeeding generations? Regardless of the messenger, regardless of the denomination, regardless of the passage of time, the message remains the same. Salvation by faith. Salvation by faith. You must be born again. Now, how many knows Jesus preached the kingdom everywhere he went? He didn't preach being born again everywhere he went. He preached the kingdom everywhere he went. 
But one of the few times that somebody asked him, how could we be a part of your kingdom? He told Nicodemus, you must be born again. In other words, you're born into sin, and that sin nature keeps you from the kingdom. Jesus did not come to establish a religion. He came to reestablish access to his kingdom. I wish I could get somebody in the first service to help me preach this morning. Woo, did you have your coffee? Glory to God. Some of y'all saying, yeah, but not enough. I mean, the message of salvation has remained the same. Look at your neighbor and tell him, you must be born again. Hallelujah. Remember, let me tell you how important, how important that message is. How important the office of the evangelist is. One time Jesus sent out his disciples, 70 of his followers out, and they had tremendous success in ministry. And they came back to give Jesus the report. And Jesus said, you're bowing. Jesus said, give me the report. How did, how, did, how did your meetings go? They said, oh, Jesus, you should have been there. It was amazing. We preached in your name, and when we did, we saw miracles. We saw signs. We saw wonders. We even saw demons subject to us when we used your name. How many of those? That's powerful. And, that, and that's what we like to brag about. Praise God. We like to brag about how many people fell out. How many people, come on, y'all hear me. How many people come on, all these manifestations. We like to brag about all that. And we equate that as having an amazing encounter with God. And I'm not coming against that. But listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said two things. One thing that's puzzling to a lot of people, and this is for another sermon and another series another day, but isn't it amazing that they said, Jesus, this happened, this happened, this happened, and even demons are subject to us in your name. Do you know what his first response was? His immediate response was, I beheld Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Can you imagine being a part of them going, Jesus, you should have been there. I mean, demons were manifested. They were falling before us when we spoke your name. Blinded eyes was open. What do you say to that, Jesus? I beheld Satan fall from heaven like lightning. What, what, what? What did you just say? How many of those was expecting him to go, dude, that's awesome. Jesus, I, I, beheld, I beheld Satan fall from heaven like lightning. <laughs> I mean, when I first read that, I was like, that don't even fit. <laughs> and then the very next verse, a very next sentence, I beheld Satan fall from heaven like lightning. And while he got them stunned, he said, listen, rejoice not that demons are subject to you in my name, but rather rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. He said, let me tell you something bigger than demons subject to you in your name. When you lead somebody to Jesus, come on, somebody, let me tell you something bigger than even blinded eyes. You want to see a miracle? Grab somebody from the grips of hell and pull them out of darkness into the marvelous light. Let me tell you something. That's the biggest report I want to hear. That's the report I want to hear. I heard you talk about all these manifestations. I didn't hear you talk about anybody that you led to me. You know, most of our revival services and most of our great church services and most of our explosive church growth now is really nothing more, nothing less than transfer growth. Churches, people getting mad at one church, going find them another church, moving to another church, and that church y'all gets excited. They think the church, the church is growing. The church is not growing. Somebody else's church is losing. The way churches are supposed to grow is with people being born again. 
Hallelujah. I'm preaching better than you shouting. Got to hurry. And then there is the ministry of evangelism. There is the messenger, the office of, 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 the, of the evangelist. There is the message of the evangelist, which is the word yoglian, which is mentioned 77 times. And then there is the ministry that actually happens through evangelism. That is the word yogliezo. And it is mentioned 90 times in the New Testament. Notice the pattern. The office is mentioned three times. The message is mentioned 77 times. But the ministry is mentioned 90 times. So in other words, the way I look at things when I study scripture is I see the ministry is, the office is very, very important that we have the fivefold gift of the evangelist. But more important than we even have people who have a, a, a known and identified mantle of a fivefold gift of evangelist. We need the message and the ministry of the evangelist more than we need the title. We need pastoral people more than we need the pastor. We need people who know the Word of God and how to give an account for what they believe more than we need a teacher. Are y'all hearing what I'm trying to tell you? That's why these gifts equip you. Equip you to do what? Can I just go ahead and tell you? Equip you to teach. Equip you to pastor. Equip you to evangelize. Equip you to prophesy. Equip you to apostolize. When I get there, you'll understand what I mean by that. Listen, if I'm a car mechanic, and for those that know me know I am not a car mechanic. <laughs> Come, thank you, soaking from a true car mechanic. But if I was a car mechanic, would you want me to teach you how to be a computer programmer? Can I tell you something? You would, if you're smart, you would come to me to be equipped to know how to work on a car. So what happens is people get it all messed up. They think that a teacher, a pastor, an evangelist, if God calls you in that mantle, is just to, just to equip any way you want to equip. And there are, you need to equip the whole 66 books, don't get me wrong, but at the core of your mantle calling is to equip people so that you can duplicate yourself. That's what happens to so many pastors. Pastors worry about job security. They're worried about some young whippersnapper preacher preaching better than them. So they'll hold some of their secrets to the ministry back. And they won't mentor and pour into to young ministers, young men and women who are asking for advice on how it is to be a greater man or woman of God because they're intimidated by their spiritual sons and daughters. Am I preaching right? But what kind of father mm, doesn't want his son or his daughter to exceed further than they ever exceeded? I wish somebody gave him praise right now. What kind of mama don't want their kids to have more than they have? If you are jealous of your kids, you got something seriously wrong with you. 
This word yagliezo that's mentioned 90 times in the New Testament referring to evangelism means to preach. Somebody shout preach. preach. It means literally to preach. See, evangelists have a great ability to see the good in people, especially those who have been written off by others. That's called grace. One of the key elements in the heart of an evangelist will not be judgment, but will be grace. Why? Because their message is to get people saved. And how many of you, you are not saved by your works, lest any man should boast is what the Word of God says. You are saved by grace. So, come on, come on. How do you know what grace means? Grace means unmerited favor. Means, means you got a pass when you didn't deserve it because you went through Jesus Christ. Grace. Amazing. Without grace, we'd be in serious trouble. So if you, if you call yourself an evangelist and you preach like I used to preach, I'm talking about myself here. I call myself a clothesline preacher. I was raised in a denomination. Preach things like, bless God, I'm going to tell you right now, they call me a clothesline preacher. The reason they call me a clothesline preacher is because some of y'all need to go to the clothesline and get your clothes off the clothesline and put it back on your bodies. Showing too much skin. I was raised in a denomination where when the evangelist came into town, he preached on, make sure you don't wear any makeup, ladies. Make sure your hair's in a bun. Make sure you don't wear any pants. I always thought it was strange that it was always about the things that the woman's supposed to do or not do and never, never say nothing about the man. Can I preach a little bit, y'all? Let me tell you something. That is not an evangelistic heart. An evangelistic heart does not deal, listen, Listen, I'm trying to tell y'all, I'm not, I ain't got time to preach all this, but here's the reality. How many of those, we should be dressing decent in order, okay? That's what I'm trying to say. We, we should be dressing in modesty. That's not what I'm saying. Though. Anything should, you should dress any way you want to dress. Don't look like the world, act like the world. But here's the reality. God has not called us to clean the fish. He has just called us to catch the fish. We are called to catch the fish. He is the cleaner of the fish. Come on, somebody. An evangelist will throw the net. And the Bible said, Jesus said, throw your net and you will bring forth, watch this, fish of every kind. <laughs> Come on, that's in your Bible. He told Peter, he said, Peter, cast your nail on the other side. Peter's like, I done passed, cast my nail on that side all night long. He said, listen, you need to hear my heart. I know the fish better than you know the fish. Cast your net on the other side one more time. And you will bring forth the kingdom. He said the kingdom of heaven is like a, a man that threw a net into the sea and brought forth fish of every kind. And when he threw his net, the Bible said he had so many fish that the net began to break before they could even get them in the boat. What does that mean, fish of every kind? It doesn't just mean black fish and white fish and brown fish and yellow fish. Come on, somebody. And red fish. Huh? Tell you, because, by the way, it does mean that too. Come on, if the net of your church is not catching people of every race, come on, somebody, you might need to check either your net or check who's throwing the net. Huh? Because I want the net in this house to bring forth fish of every kind. But it ain't just every race. 
It's Baptists. It's former Methodists. It's people raised in the church of God, sin to God. One God, two God, so help me God. It's people who don't even believe in God. It's atheists. It's prostitutes, homosexuals, people caught in adultery, liars, thieves, drug addicts. Come on, somebody. Alcoholics. Bring them in, baby. Bring them in. <laughs> How do I know that's the heart of an evangelist? The next thing we notice is this. Jesus was an evangelist. Jesus, in fact, operated all five gifts. I'll show you that each week. I've already showed you that he was a teacher. They called him rabbi. I've already showed you that he's a chief pastor, the chief shepherd. Now I want to tell you that he's an evangelist. An evangelist is moved with compassion. An evangelist cares about setting the captive free, right? He prayed for the, he was drawn to the unclean. He was drawn to the outcast woman. Had a 12-year hemorrhage, bleeding hemorrhage. Rather grew worse. He was drawn to a, a, a short man climbed up in a tree called Zacchaeus. He was a hated tax collector. No one else loved him. But Jesus was drawn to him. He was drawn to a man called Bland Barnabas that everybody else told to shut up. He was a beggar. He sat with publicans and sinners and had dinner. That was the evangelist in him. Because how many of us, you can't get people saved if you ain't willing to go to the unsaved? Huh? If all you do is remain in your homogenized, uh, disinfected little circle that you live in, where everybody looks like you, talks like you, likes the same kind of music as you, uh, uh, in your little comfortable bubble, it's going to be very hard for the evangelistic anointing to operate in your life. Boy, that's good preaching. See, it is the evangelist that keeps reminding us that everyone is important to God. It is the evangelist that keeps telling us, don't you give up on them. You'll never hear an evangelist say that somebody has committed what the world would call their interpretation of Scripture, the unpardonable sin. Because the office of an evangelist will never, ever believe that there is a human being alive that is not able to be saved by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Huh? The evangelist will know if there's breath in their body, get me to them. You might give up on them. Bring them to me. That's what Jesus said. Bring them to me. You can't handle them. Bring them to me. You may throw them away. Bring them to me. The woman with the issue of blood said within herself, if I could just but touch the hem of his garment, I know that I'll be made whole. Why did she say that? Because she had heard the rumors and the, and the news that there was a man who had come to town who didn't care what disease you had, didn't care where you were born, what your nationality was. He would sit at the Samaritan well and drink water from a Samaritan. He, he would go against every religious bubble. She said, if I could touch him. I don't care about touching Caiaphas, the high priest. I don't care about touching any of these other so-called religious people. I want to touch the man who cares about everyone. She pushed through the religious crowd, reached out, and the Bible says she touched the hem of his garment. That's King James. It meant the tassel, the one tassel that hangs down further than all the other tassels on the tallit or the prayer shawl that he was wearing. It hangs down about that much further than all the threads. She basically dove and brushed the bottom of one thread hanging from a prayer shawl. And Jesus stopped. And listen to what he said. Who touched me? Listen, okay, we know this, but listen to what he said. Who touched me? Peter and all the disciples, it was in a throng of people. 
What do you mean who touched you? Hundreds of people have been pressing forward and touching you. How do we know which one you're talking about? He said, here's what I mean. Someone just touched me in a way because I felt virtue come out of me. I felt my purpose for the reason that I am here pulled out of me. All these others wanted to touch me for religious purposes, but she touched me because she pulled on the reason for which I exist here on this earth. And she's trembling. He looks at her. Instead of judging her, he looks at her and says, today you have been made whole. See, the heartbeat of the evangelist has a strong emphasis on the value of an eternal soul. The evangelist does not live in the temporal. In the natural, he does, but his heart and his spirit and his mindset is always eternal. It's always thinking big picture. Next thing you notice is this of all the fivefold ministry gifts, or my fivefold ministry offices, the evangelist is the most concerned about eternity. He is the most concerned about eternity. Now, don't get me wrong. All five gifts are concerned about your soul. But the evangelist is passionately concerned about your eternity. In fact, you talk to to an an evangelist, and you want to talk about end times things like, like the bark of the beast, they'll respond, yeah, that's right. We need to get our life right with God before it gets here. You talk to an evangelist about, you know, God, you, do you believe in healing? Of course I believe in healing. But you know what? Who knows what tomorrow may bring? We better get our heart right with God. How many knows you, you, you can come to an evangelist with all kinds of things, and he loves everything in the Word of God, but the evangelist will always bring it back to, yeah, that makes sense. But you know what we need to be concerned about more than anything? It's harvest. Jesus said, listen, you want to really know my heart? Here's my heart. Here's where I got a shortage. I don't have a shortage of preachers. I'm not going to have a shortage of prophets. I'm not going to have a shortage of teachers. Here's what I'm going to have a shortage of. Evangelists. Because evangelists are harvest-minded. They said, well, what do you mean? What do you mean by by that? He said, look into the fields. They are already, this was 2,000 years ago. They are already white, ripe for harvest. The heads on the top had turned white, meaning it was time for it to be harvested of the wheat. He said, but here's the problem. We don't have enough harvesters. The harvest is ready, and it is plenteous. They are waiting to be harvested into the kingdom. Jesus said, but the problem is we don't have enough harvesters. Now watch what he said. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. How many of us, he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords? He's the Lord of the harvest, right? But watch this. He says, I'm not going to harvest them. That's why I came to equip you for the work of the ministry. So the evangelist's job is to equip you, get as many people saved as possible. That's the evangelist's ministry. But the office of the evangelist is to equip you and disciple you and put you in the field. He said, pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into the harvest. Are y'all hearing me, church? One of the greatest examples of a harvester that I know 
is John Richardson. If you ever go on a mission trip with John Richardson from Tulsa, Oklahoma, he may be watching this. He watches some of these. He is so harvest-minded, man. He is kingdom-minded, but let me tell you something. You will never have a conversation with him that will last more than just 15, 20 minutes that he will not bring it back to harvest. Chris Pickleton, who's preached in this church, is another one. Tim Beck is another one. These are harvesters. They truly talk about the harvest. One of the things that he said when I was in Nepal that shook me to my core was the first night that we had got to our, our area of Nepal in Gagat and we had got ready and trained all day that day and we were exhausted but we all met that night for a meal right before we went to bed knowing that ministry was going to hit, we would hit the ground the next day wide open. I think John was there. I'm pretty sure, yeah, John was there that night. Chris Pickleton and Tim Beck were our leaders. And they all came out. We had a big group of us sitting there. Now, some of you have heard me say this. Some of you have never heard me say this. But listen to this. Never forget these words. He said, before you eat I want, and before you go to bed, I want to say something to you. I believe it was Chris Pickleton that said this. He said, some of you are raised like I was raised in church, and you heard this statement. When talking about harvest and talking about eternity. Yeah, but pastor, what about those people who are in a village in the jungles of Costa Rica or Ecuador that have never been touched by outside humans, outside of their core people? They've never heard the name Jesus. They've never heard the message of the gospel. What about those people? When they die, knowing they never heard the gospel, surely the grace and mercy of God will allow them to come to heaven because they've never heard the gospel. He said, you heard it, and I've heard it. He said, but I'm going to tell you something tonight. And he said, I hope that you can't even sleep tonight, and I hope it haunts you. They will die, and they will go to hell. Wait a minute, that's not fair. Mm. This is what he said. He said, okay, let's go with that. Let's talk about what's fair. He said, you have all raised thousands and thousands of dollars to come to a nation that is less than 1% Christian. You are going to go into villages tomorrow, and you are going to share a message to children and to villagers that as hard as it is for you to believe, they have never heard one time in their life. No one has ever told them the message of Jesus one time. He said, you're going to be shocked. You're going to raise hands. How many ever heard the name Jesus before, before today? Is this the first time you ever heard the name Jesus? And 95 to 100% of the hands are going to go up. It's the first time they ever heard the name of Jesus. He says, it's going to happen with you tomorrow. He said, so if your way of thinking about harvest is true, then isn't it unfair for us to go tomorrow and tell them about Jesus? Because if we go tomorrow and tell them about Jesus, now they are forced to make a choice. Where before they didn't even have to make a choice. They could live any way they wanted to live, be anything they wanted to be, and they're covered. But the moment you go, and the moment you share the gospel, now it's on them. And now you've actually made a way for them to go to hell, where before they had no way of going to hell. Let that sink in. He said, so then you ask yourself, 
everybody is okay. One person. If one person is okay by themselves, then why did the Bible say that Jesus came to die for the world? That is why Jesus said, while we're busy making up escape goats and making up escape clauses, Jesus said, here's the problem. It's not that I don't love the world. I love every human being the same. It's not that my grace is not available to every single human being equally the same. It is that we do not have enough harvesters. We do not have enough believers who care enough to share this message. So they're dying every day and they're going to hell because no one brought the spirit of the evangelist into their village. Are you hearing me? So the last note is this. The evangelist will always emphasize public repentance and baptism. The evangelist will always emphasize republic public repentance and baptism see the apostle believes that jesus came to set things in order the prophet believes that jesus came to get out get our lives straightened up the pastor believes that jesus came to love us encourage us and tell us how wonderful we are the teacher believes that jesus came to bring us to maturity but the evangelist believes that jesus came to save us jesus came to save us did he come to save the people of, in, the, in the villages of Costa Rica? Did he come to save the Chinese? The Russians? The Kenyans? Did he come to save the Jefferson Countyans? And the Blunt Countyans? The Pensononians? The Centropornians? The Birminghamians? Yeah, he did. bet you didn't think the office of evangelist was going to be such a tough word. But here's the reality. Without the evangelist, without the heart of the harvester, then I've got to ask you one last question. What are we doing? If all we're doing is meeting for 45 to 90 minutes, Worshiping for 25 to 30 minutes, getting a 45-minute message, going about our lives and never sharing Christ with our family, never sharing Christ with somebody in the store, in the restaurant, on, on the job, on the, in the neighborhood, at your school. I believe we're going to stand before God, if we, if, by the way, if we make it. But if we do make it to stand before God, we're going to brag about all the great church services we have. We're going to brag about all the, the, the worship music that we listened to and, and all the Bible that we read. And all that's great. Here's what separates the sheep from the goats. Not how much you can memorize and quote. Not how many songs you can sing. I was hungry. Did you feed me? I was naked. Did you clothe me? I was in prison. Did you visit me? All those things that he says that separates the sheep from the goats. One says, yes, we did. One said, uh, one said yeah, he said to them, yes, you did. One, he said to them, no, you didn't. One is sheep and one is goats. Isn't it interesting that the sheep were the ones that went in because God is a pastor of sheep? The goats, he, he looked at the goats 
the goats were religious the goats said we had church we did all the things listen this is hard to even comprehend but the goat said we cast out devils in your name and he looks at the goats and says depart from me you worker of iniquity i never knew you in other words he's saying if you as a believer you have said you accept me into your heart as a believer do not have a heart for harvest this is my words now larry not god saying this is my word i wonder where your relationship is with god I'm not judging you. I'm not saying that you're saved or not. I'm asking you, where is your relationship with God? When is the last time that you heard somebody, overheard somebody talking about a struggle that they're going through and without preaching to them, just said, hey man, I can, I can hear you going through some stuff. Is it okay? Is it okay for me to pray for you? Is it okay for me to just pray for that situation? Instead of, texting somebody saying you ain't gonna believe what i just heard if this church is going to grow this is what i've asked god i've said god i know god you send people here to be equipped in this house that's been at other churches i'm not saying that that will never happen that people leave our church to go to other churches so i know people's going to leave a church and come here I'm not saying that's not of god but here's how we're going to fill these pews and fill that balcony there's enough people just in pinson that ain't even in any church today if we would take this mantle and get out in this community and pack these pews full of people who need to know Jesus Christ. Amen. Can somebody give the Lord a praise right now? Come on.